0: The water may be slowly receding, but the road to recovery in British Columbia after historic flooding will no doubt be long, extensive and painful. And concerns remained high there, with more rain in the forecast. Nearly a week ago, record-breaking rains devastated communities in southern BC, leading to floods, landslides, the evacuation of thousands of residents and destroyed highways. There are now supply chain issues. An order to ration gas in the lower mainland is also in effect, along with travel restrictions on impacted highways. CTV's National Affairs correspondent Omar Sachidina joins us from Abbotsford, B.C. Omar, nice to see you. Um, You were able to survey the devastation with Abbotsford Mayor Henry Braun on Friday. What was his reaction to the situation on the ground and what could you see?
1: Well, Joyce, Mayor Braun was uh, in in tears at some points when we spoke to him. From the air, you could really get a sense of the devastation and the scale of the devastation. Remember, what you're looking at right now, the farm fields that you're looking at, now are are completely drenched. They look like a gigantic lake. Uh, And just to give you an idea of of what the situation is, imagine looking at a bowl. So basically all the water that you see in these farm fields right now, it it can't be drained. It has absolutely nowhere to go. And so there is a pump station. It's called a Barrowtown Pump Station. It has four pumps that are going round the clock, 500,000 gallons per minute. Now, to put that into perspective, It's extremely rare for all four of those pumps to be going on at the same time based on what the mayor was telling us. But that's what's happening uh, right now. You can just imagine what these farmers are going through. Look, these are uh, tracts of land that have been passed on from grandfathers to fathers to sons. This is, you know, their, their livelihood. And the mayor was talking about seeing carcasses of animals floating in the water and at that point he actually broke down he saw people in the water shivering so you know this is the only home Joyce that he's known since 1953 he's lived here this is where his life is for 68 years and it is a scale of devastation that is really incomprehensible and something that even he is struggling to come to terms with
0: and omar more rain is in the forecast for this week and engineers are working to repair dikes in the city Is Abbotsford ready to handle more rain? Well, I talked to the mayor
1: about that as well. You know, he said he was quite concerned about that. There's about 100 millimeters in the forecast. But as you know, Joyce, these are forecasts. These are models. Anything could change right now. Uh, there, there is no rain. It's, it's pretty dry, but there will be rain. That will be coming, as you mentioned that dike. They're working frantically, racing to plug that dike right now as we speak. The levee option is no longer an option, uh, but certainly a lot of work going on. The military is on the ground. They're, they're here to assist and provide reinforcements uh, as the community is absorbing what's happening to them in real time. It is, as I mentioned, a community uh, on the front lines of of a climate disaster. This is all, of course, falling on the heels of uh, COP26. And, you know, to put the scale of this, Joyce, in perspective, remember that in 2020, which was considered a bad year, severe weather insurance claims in this country totaled $2.4 billion. Now, this month alone, just talking about B.C.'s flood damage, the, the tally, the number is a billion dollars. So you, you, you can see how severe things have become, how things are changing, and, uh, and how this, this community, the this city, this, this country is just racing to uh, adapt to a, a quickly changing reality.
0: That's CTV's Omar Sachidina reporting from Abbotsford, B.C. Thank you, Omar, for this. Stay safe and keep the crew safe as well.
1: Thank you so much, Joyce. Really appreciate it.
0: Joining me now is British Columbia's Minister of Transportation and Infrastructure, Rob Fleming. Minister, thank you for joining us this morning, and our thoughts are with you and your province at this difficult time. And you know, first off, I, I, I would like to ask you to describe to us the magnitude of the damage to you know BC roads and railways and 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 the infrastructure.
2: Yeah this is the most significant weather event we've had uh, in 125 years by volume of rainfall Uh, it battered uh, key parts of our infrastructure and in fact uh, cut off uh, the connection between the lower mainland the southern part of the province uh, and the interior which is uh, the route to get to northern bc as well the infrastructure east to west between alberta is is continuing to serve those communities but uh, the focus has been on um First of all, uh, you know, the, over the week was uh, evacuating uh, folks that were were trapped on our highways, and then uh, getting uh, crews to work immediately on uh, trying to restore connections. So we had a breakthrough uh, Wednesday, uh, getting people out of Hope, stranded motorists who'd spent three nights there, and truck drivers. The following day on on, on Thursday, uh, this weekend, I'm I'm happy to say that we've restored some critical uh, connection points on our highway system. The number three. Uh, highway uh, is reopened, and we are uh, stressing that that's for essential purposes only, uh, to, to re- reattach supply chains, get uh, commercial trucks moving, and anyone who is stranded. Those are the priorities uh, to get them home to their to their families. So that's been happening, and uh, that's very welcome news.
0: But I imagine that doing all that is 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 horribly complicated. So, what else do you think can be done in the next few days? Um, you know, to re-establish your your highway system, supply chain networks. Um, What would be sort of your next step?
2: Yeah, so ours has been the highways and working with Transport Canada, where we have a common table now, uh, working with the Port Authority, Canada's busiest port, and its connection via rail. Uh, The railways have mobilized as soon as it was safe to do so for many, many days now repairing uh, tracks uh, and uh, looking to get uh, rail functioning, that will be a huge advantage in terms of uh, goods movement and connection between the uh, Metro Vancouver area and uh, the rest of BC, but certainly the rest of the country that uh, uses the Port of Vancouver is a, is a key area for importing goods.
0: The mayor of Abbotsford said earlier this week that the damage to his municipality will cost in the hundreds of millions of dollars uh, you know, to repair. This includes dikes, roads, critical infrastructure. How much do you figure, or is maybe too early to say, but can you even estimate the damage and the cost to, to repair all that?
2: It's too soon to do that, uh, but I think the mayor is, is is pointing to you know correctly. You know, his some of his municipal roads are unusable right now. Uh, highway one, we're hoping to get opened up, but that was part of the flood scenario through the Fraser Valley. Um, highway five, which is the Coca Hala Highway, uh, is 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 essentially broken in about five places. So we're looking at what engineering solutions there are to uh, to reopen that, but that's uh, a matter of weeks and months, and uh, to repair it to. a Uh, a higher standard uh, to build resilient infrastructure to build back better. We're certainly looking at engineers' advice on all of that.
0: You know, there are always lessons learned bitterly uh, from these events. Will there be, do you think, future discussions on what critical infrastructure, uh, you know, British Columbia will need to invest in to avoid this from happening uh, again? Abbotsford, for instance, is on a floodplain.
2: Yeah, for sure. There's going to be a, a lot of lessons learned about, uh, you know, uh, the floodplain in Abbotsford, which is not breached since 1948, um, it has an extensive diking system there, <clears throat> pumping stations um, that were put under extreme strain, and it was a miracle that they were rescued at one point in time when the water levels were still rising. So, be a lot of lessons learned, and and of course, the discussion with the federal government and, and our counterparts in other provinces, because climate change is... Having a ravaging effect with uh, significant weather events in every part of the country. We've just experienced the flooding here, uh, is really how to uh, rebuild infrastructure to a much higher standard, a much greater degree of resilience, uh, have climate adaptation programs that uh, retrofit our infrastructure. We've been doing that for the past uh, number of years. Uh, the urgency has never been greater now.
0: A terrible, terrible tragedy, Minister. Again, you know, our thoughts are with you. Uh, Minister Fleming, thanks for joining us.
2: Thank you very much and thank you to all the Canadians uh, from coast to coast who've been sending their their thoughts uh, and prayers uh, for British Columbians. We really appreciate the solidarity that we're seeing in our country at this time.
0: Is North America facing a new protectionist reality? Following the first Three Amigos Summit in five years, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau failed to convince U.S. President Joe Biden to modify Buy American provisions in his infrastructure and Build Back Better bill.
2: I can certainly tell you that the Americans are very aware of Canada's position on this and our concerns around it and, quite frankly, the threats it poses to over 50 years of integrated automaking in our two countries uh, that uh, was most recently reaffirmed through the the, uh, Canada-US-Mexico Free Trade Agreement.
0: The most contentious issue for Canada, a tax credit of up to $12,500 for the purchase of electric vehicles made in the US. Canada has argued the incentive violates the new NAFTA agreement. But the bill has made it through the House of Representatives and is now heading to the Senate. This all comes as the House of Commons is finally set to get back to work two months after the federal election and the economy and cost of living will be top of mind for many Canadians. Canada's inflation rate jumped once again in October to 4.7 percent, setting a new 18-year high. How can the federal government tackle inflation and how will Canada push back on Buy American policies? And we have the Minister of International Trade, Mary Ng, who's uh, just returned uh, from Washington. Let's start with that summit in Washington. Deputy Prime Minister Christian Freeland said the electric vehicles tax credit will become the dominant issue in the relationship uh, with the United States. Do you agree with that?
3: Well, Joyce, uh, really terrific to be here and uh, to see you and uh, to talk about this this morning. I was pleased to be in Washington last week for the Leaders' Summit. And, of course, one of the issues that we raised, uh, which is a very key priority for Canadians, is uh, the EV tax uh, credit uh, that uh, the Americans have put forward. Uh, For us, of course, in Canada, our auto sector is deeply integrated. Our supply chains are deeply integrated. We've been making autos together uh, since the auto pack that was, uh, you know, that, that started uh, 50 years ago. And, uh, and when you look at uh, how automobiles go back and forth across our borders, it crosses somewhere around, you know, anywhere between six to nine times before a finished auto comes off. So it's absolutely important for us to raise the issue Around uh, these, around the EV credits, because what we also share as an objective, as two countries, is our fight against climate change. Canada, of course, uh, has made this commitment. We've made a commitment to be 100% uh, electric vehicles by 2035, 50% by 2030. So we, we've made that commitment. We want to accelerate the production of electric vehicles. And I can't think of a better
0: place to do it than in North America. So, is there a way for you to compromise? Is there a way for you to ask for an exemption or a harmonization of a tax credit? Because there is a a tax credit for these cars in Canada. So there are solutions. What are the solutions that Christian Freeland was talking about that you have brought before the Americans, whether it's congressional leaders or the president himself? Yeah, Joyce, uh, the point you make is a really,
3: really important one. And uh, I would underscore uh, one of, the, one of the, uh, the key pieces of work that we were doing in Washington. Really important to meet with a range of congressional leaders. We, you know, we were meeting them on both sides of the House. And, um, and, and when you have these range of meetings, I think that's uh, the point that you make is a really important one is that there that there are solutions and that we are here to work together on those range of solutions
0: and we so can do this together. Minister, what kind, so is it a harmonization of a tax credit across North America, across the training block? Would it be retaliation? Uh, because Christian Freeland said uh, these, this provision is against the new NAFTA deal that was bitterly negotiated with Donald Trump. So... You brought, you came to, the, to Washington with solutions, okay, the, the, what are these solutions? I mean,
3: I think at this particular juncture, what I would say is that uh, these issues, of course, uh, don't get solved overnight this is uh, an issue where we need to keep working these things do take time the constructive work that we are doing is to have those range of conversations and be open to a range of solutions the ultimate objective here is that we find a solution that uh, and that we reach a solution that uh, is acceptable to canadians that it's acceptable to our industry and to our workers and we're going to keep doing this work give us an
0: example of what a possible solution could be because right now you're saying that you're going to talk, and obviously you are. But give me an, one example of a possible solution.
3: Well, Joyce, you know what? I think at this particular point, um, you know, to um, you know, to get pointed on solutions is uh, is uh, is. What I would say is that there's a there's a range of there's a range of uh, solutions, precisely through these dialogues with the range of congressional leaders, but also uh, our businesses who are you know in the in the sector that are thinking and working at this together with us, as well as our as our uh, labor uh, colleagues as well. Um, I think that uh, the work that is ahead is really important work as this uh, as uh, this legislation is making its way through
0: the U.S. processes uh, in Congress. It's clear that Canada is in a tight spot. Um, do you have any allies in the Senate that you could make the case, and, and, and that rational case that you've just made here, do you have any of those senators that will be listening and will be sympathetic to your, uh, to your case because of the integrated supply chains, because of all those issues that you're talking about?
3: Well, um, when we were in Washington just a couple of days ago, we did meet with a bipartisan group of uh, senators. We met, uh, and, and there, of course, at the meeting were both uh, the uh, Senate Majority and Minority Leaders in Senator in uh, in Chuck Schumer and in Mitch McConnell, as well as other senators uh, from uh, from from the Republicans as well as from the Democrats. What you speak to, Joyce, is what essentially is the very important work and advocacy that Canada must and will continue to do, and we are going to do that. As I said, they are going through, as you said, they are going through their process uh, right now, and uh, we have been and will continue to work on this. These are not issues that will get solved in, you know, in in, no. in, in the, the day or two. But what it does need is it needs consistent and persistent uh, advocacy,
0: which I and our government will be doing. I just want to change gear here. Uh, you know, the inflation just hit 4.7% in October. Uh, one of the driving factors is supply chain issues. Uh, were any solutions found about establishing, you know, a supply chain in within the North American, you know, trading bloc, as as the Mexican president was suggesting, uh, to be less reliant on China. Well, that was uh, this is uh, this is uh, one
3: area that uh, that we have um, uh, that we've agreed that we will continue to do the work, certainly within the North American context. But Canada, and the U.S. Uh, have uh, created a working group coming out of uh, this meeting and uh, they will produce a report to both the Prime Minister and the President in 120 days. But it is really important that we are looking at our supply chains uh, across North America and certainly in Canada and U.S. so that we can uh, develop that resiliency across um, across The many sectors to which we collaborate and that we work on, and certainly around you know the criticality of some of the inputs and outputs that uh, we have here in North America. So very much uh, that work is uh, a commitment that we have agreed to coming out of
0: uh, this summit, and there will be a supply chain working group between Canada and the U.S. So you know. why want you to respond to this? because the Conservatives are blaming you know Canada's inflation on the Liberal government, its policies and it's, its you know hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars in spending over the past two years. Um, they're even calling it the liberal inflation. So are you know, some of your government policies the spending to blame for this inflation and you know what can you do? to bring that down, to bring down the cost of living?
3: Well, Joyce, um, I'm glad you've asked this question. It really points to the important work that we need to begin, uh, that we've we've already started working on, but certainly beginning uh, with vigour on Monday when Parliament resumes. Our commitment as a government is to work uh, to address those very issues that are important to Canadians. Affordability very much is... um, is uh, something that we ran in the recent campaign about, and it is something that we take very seriously. $10 a day childcare will deal with affordability, getting more women back and families back into the workforce, but at the same time, having $10 a day childcare and early learning will help with affordability. Committing to uh, tackling affordable housing will deal with affordability and, and put more money into the pockets of Canadians. Committing to work together Um, as Canadians have asked us to on all sides of the House, uh, is certainly uh, the approach that this government is going to take. So there is a
0: lot of work to be done around economic recovery. So you've got your work cut out for you, Minister. Uh, Minister Mary Ng, thanks for joining us. I know you're very busy. It was, um, have yourself a very nice Sunday.
3: Well, thank you so very much, Joyce. It's always my pleasure to speak to you and look forward to uh, the next time we speak again.
0: It's official. Health Canada has approved the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine for children between 5 and 11 years old. Pfizer submitted its children's vaccine for approval back in early October, with trial data indicating a 90.7% effectiveness against COVID-19.
2: This is the first vaccine authorized in Canada to prevent COVID-19 in younger children and is another key step in Canada's
0: fight against COVID-19. The dosage will be one-third of the size offered to those aged 12 and older. Meantime, as of November 30th, fully vaccinated Canadians and permanent residents will no longer need a PCR molecular test when returning from trips abroad that are less than 72 hours. So. How fast will provinces get shots into kids' arms? And will vaccine mandates apply to this new age group? And why did the federal government end the mandatory PCR tests only for short trips? To answer all that, we have Health Minister Jean-Yves Duclos with us. Thank you for being there this morning, Minister. I want to talk about the the vaccines for children. Um, I'm sure a lot of parents must be very relieved. Uh, by this announcement, but the first shipment of the 2.9 million vaccine doses for children are expected to arrive today, Sunday. How many doses are in that shipment and how fast will they get to the provinces?
4: Well, hello Joyce and hello to everyone listening, including parents and children. And as you said, uh, we know that we have and they have been waiting for this news for some time. And the good news is that Health Canada, which is a very strong regulatory agency, has now confirmed that we can start administering these doses. As you said, it's about 2.9 million doses that will start arriving by Sunday, which is right now, and will be delivered to provinces and territories in the days to come. So therefore, by the end of this week, on by the end by Friday, we would be expecting most of these vaccines to be available to the provinces and territories and therefore for vaccination to start really quickly.
0: So Moderna has also asked Health Canada to approve its COVID-19 vaccines for children 6 to 11 years old. Uh, Is there a timeline on when that could be approved?
4: That's a good question. They've just, as you've said, submitted their application. Again, Health Canada will do what it needs to do, which is to look at the application from a quality, uh, safety, and efficacy perspective, making sure that this vaccine is uh, safe and efficient. If, if they found that, which will take several weeks, then it could start being delivered to Canadian families and children.
0: So I want to I shift gears here. Your government instituted uh, a vaccine mandate for travelers over 12 years old who wish to board a flight or train, now that Pfizer is approved for 5 to 11 uh, years old, will the federal vaccine mandate for travel now apply once they're obviously vaccinated? Will that apply to children as well?
4: No, there are no changes to the uh, vaccination or testing rules for for children of any age. uh, As you said, we are entirely focused now on delivering the uh, the doses of Pfizer to the provinces and territories so that we can start administering the the Pfizer vaccine as quickly as possible.
0: Okay, so now that Canada started administering uh, booster shots, will booster shots become part of the federal government's vaccine mandate requirement?
4: Well, I think based on the public health uh, guidance and knowledge that we now have, uh, there is no need to change the, uh, the rules around the definition of full vaccination. Uh, We know that uh, the uh, provinces and territories, with the guidance of the Public Health Agency of Canada, have started to administer the booster shots to some subset of the population. Uh, Immunosuppremised uh, uh, Canadians, those Canadians that are particularly vulnerable, uh, will are receiving, in many cases, a third dose. But that's not the general guidance at this point, and certainly is not leading... To at this time, a change in the definition of who and how sh- someone should be vaccinated fully.
0: So, I want to turn to travel now because there has been some confusion over the last few days. Your government decided to nix the PCR test for Canadians uh, and permanent residents who travel outside of Canada for short trips. Those are trips under three days, 72 hours. So, what data led to that decision i mean is this a a decision based on science or is this more of a political decision you know why 72 hours
4: well there are two reasons for that the first reason is that these are indeed uh, short trips and therefore the public health agency assessed that being very short trips the risk of those people uh, catching the disease and returning with the virus to canada was modest compared to other uh, other risks. The second thing is that Health Canada, the public health agency with the border official, office officers uh, will be randomly testing those Canadians that are leaving for less than three days to see whether indeed uh, we should be uh, continuing with that policy or whether we should be revising it in the future.
0: Basically, what you have done is Canadians returning, double vaccinated Canadians returning from a trip of under 72 hours, don't need to do the PCR test. But Americans coming into Canada need still the PCR test. I don't, I don't understand, the, and, and I'm asking for double vaccinated Americans. So, why, well, that, why, the, why that discrepancy?
4: Well, a couple of things on that. First, we fully understand from an economic perspective it would be great if we could open the borders totally. However, we are still in a pandemic. And on that, may I just indicate that according to the public health calculations, uh, with respect to population size, the situation in the US and elsewhere in many other countries in the world is much, much worse than what we see in Canada. So that's why those rules are adapted and will evolve depending on local conditions. And and local conditions are not the same across the world. And and, and and finally, as I said, we will evolve. Now the situation will actually change over the next weeks and months and Health Canada and Public Health Agency will also adjust its, uh, its guidance.
0: Health Minister Jean-Yves Duclos, thanks for joining us. Thanks for being there.
4: Thank you and have a great day, everyone.
0: Where do Canada-U.S. relations stand now after the Three Amigos Summit? Leading into the meeting, Canada raised concerns about a Buy American strategy, but came out empty-handed. The US appears to be moving ahead with a tax incentive for electric cars made in America. The tax credit is part of US President Joe Biden's Build Back Better Act, which has now passed in the House of Representatives. Experts agree the measure would be a major blow to the Canadian automotive sector. So did Canada get any wins out of this summit and how our concerns about China factoring into North American relations. The Scrum is here to talk about all of that. And joining me now is CTV News parliamentary reporter Annie Bergeron-Oliver, Toronto Star Parliament Hill reporter Stephanie Levitz, and our special guest is Windsor Mayor Drew Dilkins. Good morning to the three of you. Welcome to Question Period. Um, Mayor, I, I want to start with you. Were you expecting progress from, from, were you expecting the president maybe would make compromises, that things could be changed, that Canada could push uh, against this, uh, this bill?
5: Well, I, I, clearly I, that, that's what I'm hoping for. Uh, but what I saw leading up to the Three Amigos Summit was basically the president of the United States flying to Detroit uh driving an electric uh hummer at gm's new facility and giving a diplomatic middle finger to canada the day before he was meeting with the prime minister and the president of mexico Uh, and so at the end of the day those are signals that i think all of the teams are looking at and saying okay what is going on here and certainly not sending a positive signal when the meeting started and and i think you know back ended by sort of mediocre comments from the president himself and then back ended by comments from his press secretary uh, that really set the stage that they feel committed to the position that they hold.
0: Uh, Stephanie, what does this say about the relation, you know, between the United States and Canada? Look, under the
6: previous U.S. administration, I, I'm pretty sure that former U.S. President Donald Trump would have had no issue looking Justin and Justin Trudeau in the face and telling him where to shove it if he didn't like it, right? And I think that Joe Biden is definitely more diplomatic by nature. Let's not forget the U.S. did play a role, we think, in the release of the two Michaels, and that that was of crucial importance. So certainly the tone has dialed down, but listen, Joyce, I mean, we're talking about two countries who couldn't even agree on how to manage the border during COVID and what protocols should be in place and when they shouldn't. Mm-hmm. Right now, you know, U.S. President Joe Biden cannot even drive that electric hummer across the border without some measure of testing, so it's, there's a bit of tension here between these two economies when it comes to getting things back up and moving, both in the short term and in the long term. And for years now, we've you know we've held up the auto sector as the great example of integration in the North American economy, how bits and pieces of every car can be manufactured in three different countries to the benefit of all. And now we're seeing, um, you know, symbolically and otherwise, that that crucial integration is
0: falling apart. Um, it, it- Annie, you know, the uh, finance minister spoke about that, said these measures are against the new NAFTA. We negotiated it bitterly. Uh, she was part of those negotiations. Um, so, you know, it looks like there may be a trade battle looming, another one. Um, so, you know, going into the summit, there was a lot of discussion about the strained relationship between Canada and the U.S. Now that the summit is over, where do what, what has changed, if anything?
7: Well, I don't really think that anything with the Canada-U.S. relationship has changed, and I don't think anybody expected the summit would change that relationship. Of course, any time you have these leaders in person, especially after two years on Zoom, uh, you know, you're going to have some type of improvement perhaps behind the scenes. But I think what the summit did do is it may have hurt the optics for Justin Trudeau as a strong leader. A lot of people expected that he would be able to get some type of concession out of this, some type of little tiny win, but that didn't really happen. I think what's also interesting is you heard... uh, Biden refer to Canada as its easiest relationship, and I'm not 100% sure that that's exactly how Canada wants to be defined. We are going to have very challenging discussions with them, whether it's on electric vehicles in this provision, whether it's on pipelines, whether it's on the economy or COVID, and potentially the borders again. Uh, and for us to be the easiest relationship the Americans have, it raises the question: Do, do the Americans think that Canada is docile? So, Mayor Dilkins, let me ask you: So, what? Would you like to see next? Where does
0: where does the government go from here?
5: Well, I, I, you know, I think we spent a lot of time looking at what happened when the camera was on and and the relationship and the interaction between the president and the prime minister. But I think we can't discount the work that is going on and and did, did take place behind the scenes through the legislative process. Recognizing that this still has to go through the Senate, the bill that contains these provisions has to go through the Senate, uh, and there's the opportunity to 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 work on several senators. To try and get some traction Uh, and so I know that work is ongoing and I think you know we didn't get what we wanted when the camera was on but the the proof will be in the pudding uh, when the when the camera was off what work was done behind the scenes and I think Canada needs to keep pressing and 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 spelling out that this is a bad move not just for Canada but for the Americans as well because it will undoubtedly uh, drive some retaliatory measure it will undoubtedly drive a wedge uh, between the two countries.
0: And, and you know what was interesting, Stephanie? We were there um, at the White House and the Americans seemed to be more concerned obviously about China than about what was going on with the three amigos um, because of the, the summit that the president had with his um, Chinese vis-a-vis. So how much do you think that influences the policies, you know, with uh, Joe Biden's allies? Well, it's interesting because one would think that... um
6: Uh, you know, what the world is saying now about China is that like-minded countries have to work together to counter the ongoing dominance and influence of China. What better ally perhaps could Joe Biden have than bringing the Canadian government on side and enlisting them in some of those battles? I mean, we've done it already again with the two Michaels. And the reality is, as the president said, we are the U.S.'s easiest relationship and China is probably their hardest. And so to try and figure out, is it possible for the U.S. to climb back on top of the global pedestal? Has it ceded too much ground to China, these are big, big questions for Joe Biden and politically
0: much bigger than what's happening with Canada. Mayor Drew Dilkins, thank you for your time. Annie and Stephanie will be back. Two months after the federal election, a new session of parliament will finally begin tomorrow and all eyes will be on both major federal parties. For the Liberals, what work can actually get done with just four weeks until the Christmas break? The party promised to introduce or reintroduce at least eight bills within the first 100 days of a new mandate. This past week the Liberals secured another $10 a day childcare deal, this time with Alberta. Now just four provinces and territories remain unsigned. The Conservative Party will be under the spotlight too. After leader Erin O'Toole booted Senator Denise Batters out of the National Caucus, over a petition to expedite a review of his leadership.
5: People that are now allowing their frustrations and their own personal agendas or, or, or issues on the pandemic to, to interfere with our progress are not part of the team.
0: In a statement about her removal, Senator Batters claims Mr. O'Toole cannot tolerate criticism, writing, if Mr. O'Toole is certain that the members of our party support the new direction in which he's taking our party, he should have nothing to fear by facing our members democratically in an expedited confidence vote. Can leader Erin O'Toole survive ongoing challenges to his leadership? And what work can the Liberals get done before Parliament breaks again? To answer all that, the Scrum is back. Joining me is CTV News parliamentary reporter Annie Bergeron-Oliver, Toronto Star Parliament Hill reporter Stephanie Levitz, and our special guest this round, former NDP leader and CTV political commentator, Tom Mulcair. Um, Welcome, Tom. And Let me start with you. Um, The return to Parliament, there will be lots on the agenda, but there are just four weeks until the Christmas break. You know, realistically, how much can get done in that period of time?
8: We'll learn very quickly what type of opposition Mr. Trudeau is going to be facing. But I think that overall, given the fact that the NDP has clearly signaled they'll be backing most of his initiatives, I think he'll be able to get quite a few things through before Christmas. I think, Joyce, that one of the things that we're going to be looking at, of course, is what our reaction is going to be to the current trade situation with the United States. Mr. Trudeau's coming back from Washington, empty-handed, and there's going to be a lot of pressure on him on that. There are a lot of other outstanding issues that were left over from the last parliament. Big legislation on language, for example, that was left on the table. Is that going to be a priority? They certainly sold it as such before the election. And dare I say, now that we're talking about language, people are actually going to be paying a lot of attention in the coming week to the French that does have or does not have our new Governor General, Mary Simon.
0: Absolutely. Annie, you know, everything is a priority. We hear the Liberals and, uh, you know, a lot of these issues are priority. What are you watching for?
7: Well, I think one of the easiest things that I'm going to be watching for is the priorities that the Trudeau government set out during the election. There's about a dozen items that they said they would get done in the first 100 days, and that's quickly ticking down. So some of them will be easy. The reintroduction of the conversion therapy bill, which has been promised, and it seems like there is quite a bit of support behind it. Uh, An anti-hate legislation cracking down on web giants. They also have uh, pledged to uh, put 10 days paid sick leave for federally regulated workers. That's something that the NDP is also on board with so I'm going to look at those 12 items what I'm also curious to see is what type of deals they end up making with the NDP and then I think overall inflation the economy affordability are going to be major topics we've already seen the Conservatives with Pierre Polliver talking quite a bit about inflation and how Trudeau government stimulus spending over the pandemic has actually hurt the economy so I think that there's going to be a lot of pressure on the Trudeau government to address inflation
0: Uh, Stephanie yes affordability cost of living as Annie Uh, says, you know, should we expect any surprises in Tuesday's uh, speech from the throne?
6: I think one of the things we have to look at is the extent to which the political landscape has changed in the two months since the election. I mean, certainly inflation and the rising cost of living were an issue during the election. Affordability was a key theme during the election. But really, I think Canadians are beginning to see this issue hit home from them in increasing numbers. So I wonder, you know, what we are going to see is perhaps the Liberal government reshifting around some of their priorities, kicking some of the long-term things even farther down the road, and trying to fast-track on promises like housing affordability. I mean, they've already signed now almost all of the daycare agreements. You can expect to see
0: that hyped in the throne speech. I I I wanna ask you, uh, Tom, about the Conservatives because you know what do you make of Erin O'Toole and the position he's in now? Uh, He kicked out a senator, Denise Batters, for her petition to expedite a leadership review um you know she says that others feel the same other members of the caucus um you know can his leadership really survive
8: i honestly believe that once they've got their real adversaries sitting across from them in prime minister trudeau and his liberal minority government they'll start to coalesce around their leader i think that O'Toole had the absolute right approach with batters. She was completely out of order. That's not my opinion. That's the opinion of the Conservative Party leadership. And, of course, she's been thrown out. And I think that O'Toole's got the backing of his caucus on that one. What happens to him in a year, a year and a half, is another thing. And I can tell you, for having talked to people inside the Conservative Party, they're just worried that they're going to wind up having a leadership race at a time when Mr. Trudeau, or whoever his eventual successor might be, will be looking to call a snap election. They don't want to get caught flat-footed.
0: And is, you know, the, the, there are challenges facing the conservative leader. Um, is this going to, you know, is this going to bog him down? Is this going to follow him into the session?
7: I think that he is a wounded leader and you can see that by members of his own party. Some of them are questioning whether he is the right leader to move them forward there's a lot of members uh, of the actual party itself, not the elected members, who are questioning whether they should have a leadership review sooner. I think it comes down to trust. A lot of people are questioning whether they have enough trust that Erin O'Toole can be this leader moving forward. And I think that that will impact his ability to get things done moving forward. And so for the Trudeau government, I think they're probably wondering whether this opposition will be as effective as it potentially could be. And because there are these divisions, especially around vaccine mandates, this is An easy topic that Trudeau can use against the conservatives in the House, just like they did during the election campaign.
0: Stephanie, that's exactly, you know, sort of where I want to go because they're offering something on a silver platter to the Liberals. And MP Michelle Rempel Garner saying the Liberals, and I'm quoting, are popping champagne. Um, You know, this is, we don't know if this is a fractured party or really just a few of them, but you know, they are, you know, doing a favor to the Liberals. Look, the party has always
6: been fractured, as we've seen in the recent leadership race and also the recent leadership race before that. There are varying factions of the party that now hold a lot of control over the grassroots membership, and those translate into seats in the House of Commons. There's members of Parliament that belong to different factions here, different factions there. There's definitely a group of MPs within caucus right now who would like a new leader. If you say, well, then who would you like? that's not a clear-cut answer. I'd submit that there are more members of Parliament who are taking very much a cautious wait-and-see approach for Aaron O'Toole. One of the things that was obvious um, when he made the decision to kick Senator Batters out of caucus was that people in within caucus needed to see whether or not Aaron O'Toole wants to fight to hold on to his job because thus far he's not shown a lot of signs of fighting and now it's time for him to fight. It's time for him to fight if he wants to remain leader of the Conservative Party. It is certainly time for him to fight in the House of Commons. So you know I think Aaron tool's chief priority in the next, you know, 48 hours or thereabouts is to be preparing for the best set of question periods of of his life. Because another thing that's on the minds of Conservatives is that they have a very limited window here to attack Justin Trudeau on the floor of the House of Commons. It's highly likely Parliament will go back to a hybrid model that sucks all the energy out of the place. The Tories don't like it. And so they've got a few days to really get some energy in their sails before everybody goes back
0: to their Zoom room. Well, it will certainly be an interesting week ahead for us. That's what uh, we like to do. Um, Stephanie Levitz, Tom Mulcair, Annie Bergeron-Oliver, thanks for being with us. And that's question period for this week. Be sure to follow CTV News with a new session of Parliament kicking off tomorrow. And Evan Solomon will be back here in seven short days. Thanks for watching and enjoy the rest of your Sunday.